This podcast is brought to you in association with Cloud Banking. Fintechs were targeting a customer segment that banks were not, but they could not do that without having the regulatory rails that the banks had. So there were there had to be a partnership. Some banks were willing to put in the effort to put in the technology themselves to make fintechs talk to them. Uh, some were not able to do that or did not want to do that. and some fintechs found it very tough to navigate that interaction with banks so they stepped in and their their primary task in the early days was to make sure they evangelize this among the banking ecosystem welcome to the gff23 show this podcast brings you a taste of the global fintech fest organized by the fintech convergence council Payments Council of India and National Payments Corporations of India happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September 2023. Over the past 3 years, GFF has grown to become the largest fintech summit globally, demonstrating the pivotal role of fintech and driving sustainable global advancement by showcasing a 360 degree view of its transformative potential. In this episode, join Benjamin Matthew, co-founder of Industry Atom and Vishweshwaran Ramakrishnan, Chief Digital Officer at Tamil Nadu Mercantile Bank Limited, as they navigate the evolving realm of digital banking. From fintech partnerships to the influence of blockchain, gain valuable insights into challenges, solutions and strategy alignment in this swiftly transforming landscape. Hi Rishi, how are you? Very good. How are you been? I'm good. we were talking about how the digital world has really affected what we do on a day-to-day basis uh, it's quite interesting how our world has literally changed overnight cuz i still remember my grandmother um telling me here's a pay slip go to the bank get the cash so that i can pay off uh, the bills right but we've come a long way things have changed radically um over the last couple of years and you seem to be somebody who has been in the middle of that change in a lot of ways absolutely so i i belong to the most fortunate generation um who grew up without seeing internet and suddenly right we are now orchestrating digital transformation digital payments and all this stuff right so that has been a whole transformation within our own life itself so i consider myself very lucky and do you think that that has a a difference in the way you look at technology itself as opposed to like a gen a or a gen z who was born into the internet era so to speak absolutely so it all looks magical the first experience when it hits you so like magic so i can talk about my school days if i have to read a magazine i need to go to the library so thursdays is when the ananda vigran used to come and uh, we used to we loved to read and the first person gets to read the magazine fresh and moment it crosses four five hands in the family that magazine is kind of loses the freshness right it's all wrinkled and people have opened it up absolutely so if i talk to a gen z about a book and the frenzy behind reaching out that book there there are so many magazines like gokulam was one then we had amar chitra katha those kind of magazines we used to go buy take it in print because those were rare items you need to go and seek it not like sit in a comp type it out 
and boom, it comes in the next one second. So the magic is lost. I mean, while I'm saying this, today I can access to any book anywhere which was published at any time, so long as it's available in the internet. I'm as good as any other advanced country person. Yes. That's a huge change we are talking about when it comes to digitization. So the things were magical. Correct. Very interesting. You come from the banking world. Yeah. What are the other aha moments in the banking world that, that you vividly remember? A first time we drank cash out of an ATM. Okay. Right. This is interesting. You, you were explaining, right? Nine, 90s people used to write a check. They needed to go to the bank, wait, take a token. Yes. It was like half day gone. More than. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, you go to an ATM, dip a card, put your secret number, that's your pin. The money, some sound comes and then you have the money doled out. I was like, wow. The first time, my first salary when with an account linked to an ATM card. Right. I think I withdrew off the salary just to see the effect of ATM churning out cash. And wow. Kept on giving it. The first transaction on a digital bank, mobile application, uh, fund transfer happening from person yes. to person. These were like magical. And we used to call and say, hey, have you checked the money has reached you? Today, we don't right. even do that. Right. I get some ting-ting sound in my phone and the other person gets it on. That's it. That's it. We have come far away. So we've moved as a as a country, as a people, away from um, tangible money in hand, and we've moved to a digital world where it's all like you said, it's a scan. You get a a, a ring of a bell, and that's pretty much it. And I know that my like I've settled the accounts with you. That differentiation. How did you see it happen over the years? Absolutely. So, I spoke about uh, using my transaction doing some time around 90s. That's when the the first uh, wave of digitization was happening. We were moving, of course, it is still a cash transaction, but you're using a car to withdraw money, not a check. Subsequently, mobile banking came in 2002. I think State Bank of India, they used to have SMS-based queries, basic stuff. You have a short string, you send it across, you get a response back. Your balance account, balance in your account, you don't have to call anyone to kind of check that out. This became automatic. The app started rolling out sometime around 2008-9. We also need to see the evolution of the whole digital banking and payments happen along with the technology. The backbone of that is the wireless communication. The moment we started moving away from a voice-based network to a database network, from 2G, the phones became smarter. We had Java phones, Symbian phones, and gradually we had the Android, iOS all started rolling. So that's when the power of digital payments started you know, getting harnessed. Right. That's how the evolution happened. But moving from your traditional methodology, I'm sure there were a ton of challenges that kind of hit as roadblocks, um, especially in the banking world, in the fintech world. This is all new ground that was being laid. So from the challenges that banks had to face, what were, what were perhaps some of the things that um, you saw that were holding us back? And on the other side, because we had to overcome that challenges, we took leaps and bounds as well. Absolutely. The fundamental challenge was awareness. 
right i remember 2007 8 timelines we we used to do something called as a blue casting okay so people didn't have data on their phone right so the bank used to sponsor right we used to tell the customer switch on your bluetooth i'm talking about a smartphone and we push the application to them and they can install it on their own oh wow okay so we had to do that level of interventions that is for a customer who was curious on implementing installing the mobile banking app this i'm talking early days of five mobile application one step before that was trust how much do i trust my bank to keep my data safe that was a huge barrier i mean at one end inherently the customers trusted the bank uh, so whatever the bank employees were telling those times saying that this is a good thing you should try it out customers were indeed curious when they got a new phone they want to try it out new applications how does it work banking applications some were curious let me experiment let me try it once they got used to it they saw the value they saw the convenience and those customers became the ambassadors they started spreading the word hey i'm using mobile bank are you not using it mm. then it kind of creates a peer effect and then the gradually the awareness the adopters helped us kind of reach out to the early majority and the late majority of the customer submissions got it what you were saying is very interesting because awareness is one trust is a huge factor uh india as a country has actually adopted um digital transactions in a very very different way and you were um in a very unique position when that whole transition happened uh could you elaborate a little I, i'd i'd like to hear it from your side as you saw it happen okay there are three factors fundamentally one is that we have a huge amount of youth population right we have the world's largest, largest youth population so the youth population do not have much of fear because these people are very native for digital transactions they are very native to internet they have been using it ever since they were born so they didn't have that level of fear factor of the older generation people right so these people quickly adapted that is one second was that we had the upa moment right right even before upa we had the imps yes the immediate payment service which was the first ever real time money transfer for a peer to peer kind of application in fact whatever friction imps could not address we were able to get it addressed as per as far as upa is concerned and the tech stack was totally new and it became any bank any application that gave a lot of freedom for the consumers to pick and choose the application and connect their bank accounts and uh, in a way demonetization also helped to an extent suddenly cash going out of circulation the finites and thousands and that was a necessity at the time so people started adopting contactless payment which essentially was a qr based payment right then upi picked up from there and it boomed the yeah. best part was that upi has been an out and out indian innovation mm-hmm. and today we are helping other countries establish use upi as a protocol for It's a framework for transfer of money between peer to peer and peer to merchant and anywhere to anybody. What are the statements that you just mentioned? Very highlighting for me. You said that it is it opened out um, avenues, not just from bank to bank. It could be any 
application that wants to piggyback on the UPI, they can do that, right? Um, that also led to a rise in terms of fintech companies uh, booming. Well, UPI did not give rise to fintechs booming. Fintechs evolution happened on its own. So the fintechs were people with great ideas. They were able to think differently. So they venture into the areas where the bankers have not been even thinking. Mm. Mm. So they were able to think, understand a customer pain point, look at multiple ways of solving it, building great UI, UX, put a great tech stack, speed, agility, all that they brought in. And uh, they started riding, started using the rails. Uh, say, for example, UPI. UPI, even today, it is between banks to bank and uh, bank to PPIs. Right. Prepaid, payment instrument issuers. Got it. So, so they started using that. So the money movement became an accelerated phenomenon. When the banks have realized the power of fintechs uh, sometime around 2016, 2017, in fact, we had seen the evolution of Paytm, phone pays, and the Google pays of the world. They have all transformed the e-commerce. You've seen that happening. And the payments were one of the layers which enable and empower e-commerce to become super successful. So the banks have realized that they they have to either collaborate with the fintech or they have to compete with the fintech. They, they also saw the fintechs were disrupting the, uh, the way banks were offering the services and the fintechs were reimagining and delivering service. So that is a value which banks saw from the fintech and uh, many of the banks started collaborating with fintech because of the strengths they bring in. At the same time, some other banks have also evolved competencies, setting up, building their own development capabilities, setting up their own uh, COEs, center of excellence, and bring in a culture which is prevalent in fintech. So in a way, banks and fintechs, they collaborate. It's like a symbiotic relationship because fintechs see the bank as somebody who's a custodian of trust, customer trust. And they also can look at the huge customer base banks have acquired over a period of time for expanding their services. Banks see fintechs as a distribution channel so that the fintech products can be overlaid, like how you said, neobanking product, the beautiful UI, UX, the customer journeys, the frictionless ways where the neobanks use the bank APAs for providing the banking services. And fintechs find it uh, extremely symbiotic and helpful to each other. And finally, it is a win-win-win for the customer. Right. Customer benefits, bank benefits, and the fintech benefits. Got it. Before we go on with the episode, a quick word from our sponsors. In the heart of the banking world, where every second counts and efficiency is paramount, a revelation, a cloud solution Indian banking can rely upon. Cloud banking. Process loans in less than 10 minutes with seamless integration, automation at its finest, and workflows that adapt to your needs. Step into the future. Elevate your bank's lending operations with cloud banking. Now, back to the episode. Um, so, Vishy, we've spoken about banking and technology. But there's a fundamental element that um, I think everybody goes to a bank for, which is I need a lump sum of money. And then I go in and say, okay, let me go take a loan. And 
inevitably that has become a, a long process, right? A lot of those processes have simplified and become very, very quick. Your check, which you used to use to take a, take money out, is now just a scan and pay or tap on a card. Similarly, um, how are we moving when it comes to the lending space? Are there progressions that have taken place or are we uh, still finding it difficult from a technology implementation segmentation? See, lending has come a long way. In earlier days, it was everything was manual, right? The, the person who is lending, giving the loan, they have to make the assessment, take the risk of the ability of the lend of the person who is taking the loan to repay or the intent to repay. This had to be assessed manually, and then it evolved into score sheets. We, we started looking at some baselining the parameters. We started getting into score sheet, scorecard models. Even today, people are using it. Correct. I think Sybil is one of those scorekeeping methodologies. Today, we have got, as with availability of data, so we can always pull the data from the bank statements, analyze the bank statements, look at their cash flows. We have got the, the credit bureaus publishing data. I mean, this is, by way, one of the best things regulators have done for us. Made the life easier. So we everybody has got a score. And the score keeps changing depending on our credit behavior. So these are all very straightforward items. The ability to repay can be assessed. For a business loan, it can be a GST returns analyzer or a bank statement analyzer. We, we, it's very, very easy to predict the customer ability to repay. So today, if you are eligible, it is very quick. People can give a loan, walk across the counter and walk away with a loan in a matter of few minutes. There are pre-approved loans. All this kind of nudges are given to the customer. Good quality customer, customer who is credit worthy, they will get enough and more loans whenever they want. Where the lenders are also looking at is the intent to repay. Whether this customer will not run away with the money, are they really seeking money from the bank or the institution for the purpose what they are really claiming to be. Right? This is the area a challenge which people still technology helps in terms of understanding, looking at alternate scoring models, alternate means of measuring, looking at the social circle, looking at the past tracker with with my bank, with somebody's bank. So these are all the areas where people are working it. There is a lot of data science goes into the digital lending bit. People underwrite based on the parameters. Today it's all quantified. There is there is enough and more data available to make a decision whether to give a loan or not. And if we are going to give a loan, how much of loan to be given? So there is a lot of data sciences available, tools available, fintechs available who are helping banks put together a model so that they can go to the next layer of customers, next set of customers whom they can go and lend to. I want to take a step back. Regulations and regulatory frameworks become a very important factor in what we what you're just explaining at this point in time. Um, how how is that navigation happening as an industry at this point in time? Because both the fintech side of it has to collaborate with the banking side of it as well. But regulations are not controlled by either. It's from a governmental level. Um, and what are the steps that uh, all these parties are taking 
that you see in the industry that's happening and what is the, that, that direction that it's moving towards? Uh, in fact, we are uh, blessed with a very forward-looking regulator. They, they have been very supportive of the fintech initiatives, bank initiatives. There are a lot of times where the regulator themselves push the best practices to the banks, be it cybersecurity, be it in terms of bringing a stability into the banking ecosystems. We never had any major shakeups or meltdowns in the industry, all thanks to our regulators. They have been holding the guardrails of the entire industry. And today, the way the banks and fintechs will work is they will have to follow the regulatory guidelines. And wherever they are in doubt, the regulator have said in so many forums that they are open for discussion, they are open for engagement, they are willing to clarify and make understand about the regulations or the reason behind the regulations, all that. Wherever they want to push the boundary and try to kind of change or modify the regulations, the Reserve Bank has its own subsidiary unit called Reserve Bank Innovation Hub where they can go back and use the sandbox facility for testing out and so that the effect of modifying the regulation can be easily measured. Oh, okay. So, so in a way, like today's our regulators are far more advanced, far uh, superior compared to many other things. Right. Today, they lead the changes, whatever we see in terms of the getting new products introduced. Regulators are very supportive. Otherwise, there won't be a new pay moment. Got it. And UPI is, is fundamentally the uh, flagship product that has come up globally, if you look at if you think about it. Absolutely. To democratize payments. Now, so to say, our regulator themselves have launched CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Okay. So today they are taking baby steps, trying to measure, uh, doing pilots with various banks. My understanding is they have crossed more than a million customers onboarded and about 3 lakh merchants who are kind of doing it. Today, the potential what a CBDC brings to the table is enormous. Today, it can be between institution to institution payment. They are also now testing out the retail side of the e-rupee. The use cases, what it can transform into are, are tremendous. The world is now talking about tokenized deposits where I can create a deposit in a bank. Tomorrow, I should be go, able to go to any other bank so long as uh, the deposit is tokenized and it's part of the registry of the central bank digital currency. Right? I will be able to go liquidate my deposit in any other bank. So, so that level of functionality is kind of flattening the whole ecosystem, making the money movement even more fast. Right. So, coming back from what what you were talking about, CBDC, um, could you enable or could you kind of unpackage this for us? So, how does that transition into cross-border uh, transactions? CBDC. Yes. Yeah. Today we are talking about e-rupee as a Indian rupee equivalent in a central bank digital currency. Similarly, there are efforts put in by other governments, other central bank regulators in their respective countries. They are creating their own respective CBDCs. The moment the, the regulator of one country talks to the other, they both get into an agreement of how they are going to exchange information, uh, how they are going to settle among each other. These CBDCs can become interoperable. Uh, India is the largest recipient of foreign inward remittances. We, we get close to 
100 billion dollars worth of foreign currency we keep getting as an inward remittance year after year but the major factor which involves is that the cost of doing that foreign remittance today let's talk about about 3 to 4% varies from geography to geography how this is getting that because upi is disrupting it upi you know across international countries enabling it indeed creates a disruption however as a cbdc if you are if they are able to bring down the cost of a remittance by say for example 2% is like 2 billion dollars saved every year this ton of money yes so that is a worthwhile problem problem of scale for which a central bank regulator can get together and solve it so this is an actively worked on problem globally it is it is it is what is going on the the advantage of a cbdc especially using a blockchain tech is that the payment and the settlement can be instantaneous so there is no need for a reconciliation there is no hung state either it is success or failure there is no time out or deemed approval kind of cases which we today find in upi and imps worlds blockchain does the transaction settles it instantly and it also eliminates the risk of a bank going default so there is there is a very minimal need for a settlement guarantee mechanism got it from a future perspective where do you see the world moving to um not just from banking alone and not just from technology alone but as people you've you've seen a world where there was no technology no internet uh, you now we live in a world where your chat gpt's answer any questions create your uh, online marketing strategies for you right like you don't have to think about it per se where do you see us as humans going forward as well as both the banking and the uh, the, the fintech world moving forwards we are on more and more moving towards a connected world in fact today we are talking about an option where i can go offline okay today we live in a world where mostly offline whenever we want we just go online right right future it will be the reverse everyone being mostly online everyone will be online right out of necessity out of compulsion out of being there with the world right and going offline will be very very limited got it that is one part second we also to look at the tokens we are looking at iot evolution of iot today our mobile phone is an iot similarly we have device to device payments happening that will become uh, extremely popular mm. uh, in one example we can give is our cars are making the payments the tolls the fast tag is essentially a device to device payment we have just started doing it over a period of time our phones will take decisions autonomously and they will make the payments to maybe a shopping or it can be ordering some goods or even tolls or tickets or anything those kind of decisions the devices will take based on the context and the rules what we provide as a human and they will take it so essentially what happens is it is a continuous banking continuously connected world continuously engaged continuously transmitting data and here what happens to the banks banks will disappear oh banks banks will disappear but banking will remain got it okay i'll give a very 
simple analogy for you to kind of get grapple of what will happen in the future i'm sure you will remember the grandfather days they used to be like radio sets the size of a microwave oven then the gra- radios gradually started shrinking they shrunk they came to the pocket size transistors today they are one of the circuitry within a phone you don't find radio anywhere as a separate device you may find it in an umbrella you may find it in a mobile phone you may find it in an alarm clock is radio radio as a form has disappeared but radio as a functionality remains similar thing will happen for banks also wow that's a very interesting world to look up, look forward to actually so banks will probably disappear but banking will be everywhere will be everywhere amazing i think um that's a brilliant note as ever to come to a conclusion on this episode thank you so much for being on the show it's been a pleasure to have you great talk on and off the mic uh i've really enjoyed uh, your company and uh, the conversations um gff uh, is an annual event that keeps happening um this year unfortunately i believe uh, you're not able to attend but you have been part of gff in the past and i believe you will be in the future as well absolutely thank you so much thank you so much we want to take this opportunity to thank mr vishweshwaran ramakrishnan chief digital officer at tamil nadu mercantile bank limited and benjamin matthew co-founder of industry atom for taking time off their schedules to bring you this episode the global fintech fest global collaboration for a responsible financial ecosystem inclusive resilient sustainable happening in mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of september 2023 post production and sound design by subash editing and scripting by dash and voice over by abe